Welcome back to Rethinking Politics. We're glad to have you guys here with us for episode 79. Today we're going to be talking about the Sandy Hook settlement with Remington and parents and survivors of the Sandy Hook shooting. Um, This settlement happened just last week, just a few days ago. So let me tell you a little bit of history first. So everyone's familiar with the Sandy Hook uh, school shooting. It took place in 2012 in Connecticut. It was a mass murder of 26 people. Um, and, you know, it was uh, a... I don't even know what term you'd use, but, but you know, it was a single gunman who who had a, a handgun. He may have had a, a 22 rifle... And for this case, the important part is he had a uh, an AR-15 style assault rifle that was manufactured, maybe not by Remington, but by one of their subsidiaries. You know how the companies actually shake down is a little complicated. But he had an AR-15 made by Remington that he used as part of his of his shooting to kill many many people. Soon thereafter. A group of uh, parents and survivors from the Sandy Hook shooting sued Remington, which is, you know, to be expected. And that lawsuit has just now been resolved. So the first question is, well, why did it take, you know, almost a decade for this case to get resolved? And the answer is actually rather simple. It's because in 2005, the United States Congress passed a law called the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act, which was this blanket immunity that barred civil suits against the gun industry with a few exceptions. There were actually six exceptions in the law, and this case took advantage of one of those exceptions. And the exception that they took was the third, the third one, which is I'll read it, I'll read a quick summary here of it. In action in which a manufacturer or seller of a qualified product knowingly violated a state or federal statute applicable to the sale or marketing of the product, and the violation was approximate cause of the harm for which relief is sought, which is legalese for saying that if the gun manufacturer knowingly violated a state or federal law that has to do with the sale or the marketing of a gun, then they can be sued. And in this case, the argument was made that they violated a Connecticut law that dealt with unlawful marketing by companies, not just firearms manufacturers, but all companies. And it's actually um, an interesting case. It's the Unfair Trade Practices Act that was enacted in Connecticut. And so the argument is, is that they had unfair or illegal marketing practices. So what were those marketing practices? So the argument is made by the plaintiff that they were promoting unlawful military use of the rifle by civilians. And in this case, what they're talking about is the advertising that Remington did. Things like consider your man card reissued. That was targeted in, uh, you know, an ad that ran in video games and other things, and and uh, a couple other slogans like that, like uh, you know, opposition bow down, you are single handedly outmatched, you know, arguing that, arguing that these statements and others were actually promoting or encouraging 
unlawful military use of the rifle. In other words, someone could see that ad, buy an AR-15, and shoot people that they considered their opposition, and that was in some way encouraged by Remington. Which is how this is going to waive the liability you mentioned. Yes, so, this how this and is so, make so them, part of yeah, why okay. it took so long is because before it could really come to trial, it had to be cleared past this law. You know, before there could even be a lawsuit, someone had to rule on this law. So it eventually went to the Connecticut Supreme Court, where they ruled that because of this Connecticut law, it could proceed, the, the civil action could proceed. It was then appealed all the way to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court refused to hear. In other words, the Supreme Court agreed with the Connecticut Supreme Court enough to not consider it. They weren't even considering overturning it. They're like, this makes sense. It goes back to you, which meant that the Connecticut Supreme Court ruling held, and then it could go back. And so it went back, and then eventually Remington settled for $73 million and the release of internal documents, which is an unusual settlement. Often these settlements are uh, behind closed doors and the, amount is, and the amount is not disclosed. That's part of the agreement. This was a very unusual settlement in that the company gave a lot more than companies normally do. You know, the first thing is that it was public. Everyone knows the exact amount that they settled for. And the second thing is that part of the agreement was that they had to release a ton of internal documents like they would have to do if it went to trial. And I think the idea is, is that these people, I mean, these, these parents and these survivors weren't just interested. I mean, they definitely weren't just interested in the money. They were interested mm -hmm. in what happened and why it happened and how it could be prevented going forward. And so they wanted that publicity and they wanted that transparency that you get from a court case, even if there wasn't a court case. And so that was the uh, the final settlement, which happened just recently. And the $73 million, that amount was actually because that was basically all the, uh, all the money that was available. You know, Remington actually ended up going bankrupt. And you had these insurance companies that ended up handling the case. And that was the amount of money they had to work with. And so that's what they took. In other words, it's a pretty clear-cut victory for... In this case, for for the you know the Sandy Hook survivors and parents, this was a clear cut victory. You know they 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 won the case, even though it didn't go to trial in that sense. But more importantly, they won the legal case beforehand, and they they got all those documents released, which makes it public and not just some hushed up, you know, settlement behind right. closed doors. Right. There, there are so many interesting pieces here. Um, if you're listening to this, There's you're not three. familiar with these kind of cases. There's that three specifically. <laughs> no, Dad, not so many. Three. The, the way that, I mean, at the level of practice, is this sufficient, you know, given the standards that you indicated of, of you can't, obviously an advertisement can't tell someone to go do something illegal. Mm -hmm. That that makes a lot of sense. Um, a, a religion can't do that, which is another group that often has a variety of exceptions, right? If your religion is advocating stealing mm -hmm. or hurting people, it will be stopped. And that's true in every state. 
Um, that, and that's been true from the founding. That was never the case. Locke argues about this. Locke is like, no, you're, <laughs> if there's a general rule, like no theft, no murder, and all these things, these kind of general crimes, which obviously going in a school shooting certainly falls under murder and these other, these, these other general laws, then to encourage that is illegal and is, uh, and is contrary to whatever protections you may think you have. But it's interesting that they, you mentioned some of the lines. Those are not lines we're drawing. Those are lines that the case and people writing about the case mentioned as indicative of Remington encouraging people to engage in these kind of actions. And now, obviously, they're not arguing that Remington is the reason that he did this. Mm-hmm. They don't have to prove that Remington was the key part, you know, that, that, that well, he saw these advertisements and was like, I now know what I need to do with my life. I need well, to go it's, shoot up. It's worth school. noting. It's worth noting, Dan, that, that this is just one part of their suit. Their suit had many, many claims against yes. Remington that basically yes. they, so, right. so I would, I would disagree with that claim that they don't think Remington is wholly responsible. I You're would right. think that right. I would argue that they do believe Remington is wholly responsible because Remington made the firearm and their, and their belief and their argument is that if the firearm had never been made, it never could have been used, but their argument, because one of their arguments in the case that the, uh, Connecticut Supreme courts, you know, dismisses out of hand is that Remington made the rifle and therefore they're responsible for the crime. They're like, no, that's not how this works. People make products all the time and they're not responsible for the misuse of those products by individuals. A great example of this would be, you know, the, uh, the, the man who drove his SUV into the crowd, you know, just a few months ago, Mm -hmm. the manufacturer of that SUV shouldn't have any any responsibility for that act. You know what I mean? Because there yes. there was no negligence there. They made a vehicle that was designed to drive, but it wasn't designed to kill people, but someone misused it. Yes. And, and you could also see how if, if what they're advertising was, this is even better than a weapon. Look at how many people you can. Well, yeah. That, <laughs> there's a, there's yes, an advertisement yes. of them running through a crowd of dummies. No, and that, and that <laughs> would be a, a, a grotesque, but. <laughs> That's not funny. That's terrible. It, I shouldn't be laughing. It would be, it, it would be an example, yes, of, of how that would be a clear violation of, of the law. But here it's definitely a little bit murkier. But my point is, is that there are definitely a lot of gun control advocates who would argue that there is no legitimate use for an assault rifle. That you know that if you want to go hunting, you you don't need a high high magazine capacity. You don't need um, the high magazine capacity. You don't need maybe even semi-automatic capability, which means that every time you pull the trigger, it fires a new round. You can just have a bolt-action hunting rifle and be fine. If you want to go shooting yeah. for fun at a range, then why don't you just get a little twenty-two? You don't need an AR-15 for any of these you don't need legitimate optics purposes. And grips. Exactly. Therefore, the only purpose of an AR-15 is to kill other human beings, and therefore, simply creating the AR-15 is acknowledging the crime, you know? Yes. Yeah. Is advocating is, or, or is yeah, is, yeah, is yes. allowing is for them to advertising be advertising for that, it. Mm-hmm. that it's not misuse because the clear purpose of the AR fifteen is to kill. 
Yes, and these arguments, as you indicated, were thrown out and and have been thus far sis- systematically thrown out in most states, mm-hmm. probably all states, but I'm, I'll commit to most at this point. And, and the evidence <laughs> for know. that is very clear because the AR-15 is probably, and I don't have enough data on this, but it's probably the most commonly owned rifle in the United States right now. I mean, there are so many AR-15s. If you go to any gun store, they will have... Not just one AR-15, but a whole slew of different AR-15s that you can purchase. And, you know, from ranging from very cheap to super expensive, I know many, many people who own AR-15s and who do go shoot with them at the firing range. You know, some people even do hunt with an AR-15 and don't commit crimes with them on a regular basis. You know, when you've got (laughs) something like 50 million AR-15s in the hands of Americans and not the vast majority, but the, you know, the, 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 the tiniest fraction of those Americans misuse those AR-15s for illegal acts, therefore disproving the argument that the only purpose is an illegal act, because it would mean that the vast, vast majority of those owners have an illegal purpose, but are simply failing to carry it out, you know? Yeah. Yeah, which would be a strange argument. Um, I guess that and if if you did, uh, even if a court sustained, you know, a particular court, a particular state, uh, Supreme Court even sustained the argument that, um, that by creating such a weapon, you have endorsed or advocated or, or encouraged or enabled violence um, and thus are liable, the Supreme Court of the United States would slap it down. At least at, the, at this point, they still would. Um, it's just too clearly... The Second Amendment is just too clearly not limited to hunting mm-hmm. and things like that. Mm-hmm. And so that is still the Supreme Court standard at this point and, and likely to remain so for some time given the, given the current majority. But even without that, it, it might remain so. It's just too clearly, uh, too clear the intention in some of these cases. You can argue variety things around it, but mm-hmm. anyway. But, but there's a couple specific parts of this case that are really interesting. And one of the ones that I want to talk about is the Protection of Lawful Commerce in Arms Act, the 2005 immunity law that was passed. Because obviously, any gun control advocate is going to hate that law. If you don't hate that law, then you're not really a gun control advocate. Um, Because it's... (laughs) Because in in strict yes, terms, it's what protects them. In strict terms, it is unfair, right? This law is saying that these these gun manufacturers, unlike most other industries, are going to get special protections from mm-hmm. litigation. You know that if you manufacture, you know, a lock picking set, and that lock picking set gets used by a criminal, you know, it's going to be much easier for someone to sue you. Net- potentially than it is for if someone takes a gun that you manufacture and misuses it by murdering someone with it. You know what I mean? So you look at that disparity and you say, why? You know, why is this disparity here? And <laughs> and that's a good question. The answer is, of course, you know, there are a lot of uh, NRA advocates and a large number of <laughs> lobbyists who yeah. protect these gun industries. I mean, that's that's the short answer. It's not some principled stand. No, it's because they spent the money and their resources to get this protection, which is something yeah. that personally I'm not crazy about. You know what I mean? That's 
This law is not my favorite. It's something that makes me a little bit uncomfortable. The need for an exception in the law and how cases are handled regarding an industry is a bad sign. Mm-hmm. And we've, we've talked about it in relation to other things. Walmart has laws on the book. There are laws on the United States books that apply specifically by name to mm-hmm. Walmart. That's a bad sign. Mm-hmm. That is a bad sign. You do not want rules of some kind applying to one group and other rules applying to other groups. By definition, it's unjust. It's unfair, right? It's yeah, not, yeah. It's not level. It's not consistent. It's not. Um, and- no, and that's a good example because just like the fact that I don't like those laws that Walmart's lobbyists get put in place to protect Walmart, I don't like – you know the idea that yeah this this immunity for for the gun industry but just like walmart i understand why these companies are doing it because the in this world of litigation it's very hard for companies to survive without protection especially large companies that have a large a large amount of money you know what i mean when you have a mom and pop shop you often don't have the same protections as walmart But guess what? Your employees or your customers are much less likely to sue you because they know you don't have a ton of money. You know what I mean? They know you don't have massive, you know, liability insurance. They may still sue you. Like small companies do get sued on a regular basis and they often do have to have some kind of insurance. But my point is, is that it's not on the same scope that a company like Walmart has. You know what I mean? I mean, I think of Amazon and all the crazy stories you hear about mistreatment by their employees. And as someone who's never worked at Amazon. Of their employees yeah, by Mistreatment the- of their employees by Amazon. And I don't know if that's true or not. What I do know is that when you have a company that large with that much public attention, any potential is going to be exploited. You know what I mean? Even if it's just one facility that has the problems, that could easily lead to a class action lawsuit because of their public image and because of their their massive wealth. Prosperity, yeah. That they can be sued for for millions. You know, Remington was, even after going bankrupt, you know, still able to be sued for $73 million. Yeah, yes, that's their their death throes financially mm-hmm. are still worth seventy three. Yeah, exactly. Um, yes, uh, there's. Yeah, I as a general rule, I I sat in a meeting. This was a this was a meeting in the Utah State Legislature. I was in a committee meeting where most. I'm sorry. Where where most of these? <laughs> if you've been to a, a committee meeting at a legislative body. They're not. They're, in, they're, they're not the most exciting thing in the world. They're fascinating because this is where yes. decisions are made. But a lot happens there. Yes, uh, much more happens there than inside the the actual full body meeting mm-hmm. together. Um, so this this company comes in and they're presenting to this committee. I don't remember the particular committee. Something to do with it doesn't employment, matter, yeah. obviously. And uh, and the company proceeds to spend twenty, maybe even as much as thirty minutes. Wow explaining why these provisions in the Utah state law that gave them various financial benefits should continue (laughs) because they were sunsetting. The sunset clause is when you add to a law a timer. You go, this expires in this year, or it has to be reconsidered every two years or something like that. There's There's a point where it has to go before the legislature again 
or it disappears. Mm-hmm. So they come in and, and frankly, it was, the whole thing was disgusting. Not because anybody there was particularly vile, but they're explaining how- Were people they there somewhat vile? Some of them were, okay, yes. continue. I just, it was just- Yeah. Luckily, state legislators aren't quite as icky as national legislature, but- They're, they're- <laughs> Still, still icky. <laughs> it's icky in its own way. It's, yeah, it is. And this was one of those, those moments. So they explained that they are providing a lot of jobs and they had the numbers and they're making this much profit and they're donating this to the community and they're, mm-hmm. they're trying to be environmentally conscientious in there. And it was like, it was like watching someone. This is what I imagine it looks like, looked like when someone would go and try and get a charter from the king. We're like, I need a financial favor and you have all the power and I'm not sure what you want me to say, but I'll say it. I'm not sure what you're looking for from us. So they just kind of scatter shot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And partway through one of the legislators who I really liked interrupts and he's like, why are we doing this? Clearly we should just renew this and move on. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, and it, and then what you find out is that most sizable businesses in a state have these kind of cutouts. And if you're an international business like Walmart, you've got it at the national level. Mm -hmm. You have your own negotiated tax code in a lot of ways, you know, tax benefits and costs. You have your own special subsidies, special exceptions to the rules. Mm -hmm. You have your Mm -hmm. own and all of this in the name of job creation and the whole the whole thing undermines the very concept that we are ruled by laws if those laws are negotiated on a case-by-case basis. Yeah, because that's not how laws work. At that point... That's not the idea. At that point, yeah. it's not a just law in any way, shape, or form. Just like... Yeah, it's a deal. Yeah, exactly. Just like having immunity for one industry and not the others is not a just law. Yes. Yes. You can see why there might be exceptions in some cases, but... I don't think I have yet seen an exception in law where I didn't think either this exception is unjust or the law at a deeper level in this sphere is corrupted. And so that you have to, to have justice, make an exception, right? And that's a, and neither of those are a good sign. If you went systematically and looked at exceptions to the law where industries or, or companies are individually answered, and you tried to address that problem in the law, not only would our tax code and <laughs> all of our laws get significantly shorter, you would have a way better system and a much more fair and just system where companies aren't going to places where they're getting the best government deal, mm-hmm. right? which mm-hmm. is not how this should be working. No, and that's and that's a fair point that when I say that this immunity is is unjust, I don't mean because what it's creating is unjust, but rather the injustice of of partial of having to have an exception. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. There's yeah. it's 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 a mess. You know what I mean? It's it's yes. just like if Walmart is able to avoid, you know, unjust laws but the rest of us aren't, I would consider that unjust even though what Walmart itself is doing isn't unjust. Isn't necessarily bad, yeah, but there's exactly. still something unjust. There's still happening. there's still yeah. an injustice. Yeah, yeah, you you should not have exceptions like this mm-hmm. and and if you dis- if you decide that your job as a government legislator is to make the com- the 
the world as effective as possible, then you ne- then into and you believe you have the the ability to see which of these should succeed and which should fail. You know, you're picking winners and cho- winners and choosers, <laughs> winners and losers, that kind of thing. Um, which I think leaves a bad taste in pretty much everyone's mouth. Even if like you don't have to be a free market advocate to say whatever the laws are, they should apply equally. And and if the laws want to be strict against business or they want to be loose against business, um, everyone should be playing by the same rules. And and I think that's a this is one of those cases where something is afoot, mm-hmm. and you can tell because there's an exception, mm-hmm. and that should make you leery. That should make people upset. And a lot of people assume that the problem is that they're getting a privilege rather than getting justice. Yeah, and so and so, what's afoot? What underlying issue what what deep corruption is taking place here is actually relatively simple and it's it's just the the way that liability and litigation law has developed because first of all it's very complicated and it's very messy and one of the reasons is because it's gotten bad and once it started to get bad companies started carving out positions for themselves. So there really is no clean civil liability system that we have in the United States. You know, it's a giant mess because you'll have companies that are behind shields upon shields upon shields while other companies are operating out in the open and are therefore exposed to the devastating litigation that can happen. And then there are lots of cases of that kind of devastating litigation. I mean, everyone's heard, you know, the ridiculous stories. Like, for example, there was a case years and years ago where someone was trying to break into someone's house and they got in through the garage. The garage door closed behind them and the garage door opener wasn't working or something like that. And they got stuck in the garage for like 16 hours. You know, the, the, the family was gone and they just couldn't get out of the garage and they were trapped because the, the, the door to the home was locked and they couldn't get out the garage door for whatever reason. And that person sued the homeowners for having this unsafe setup in their garage and harming this person who was trying to break into their home. And, and cases like that, and in some cases like this, these ridiculous cases, people win. You know, criminals have while committing criminal acts, sued businesses and individuals and won before, which is an example of how crazy this system can be. But... Yeah, I'm reminded while you're... Yeah, yeah, go. Pausing there for a second. The, I remember hearing about this case as a kid where the woman gets, uh, was it coffee, hot chocolate from McDonald's? Mm-hmm. Uh, and spills it on herself and, is, and actually gets burned actually has uh not <laughs> not significant burns but at least super you know superficial burns yeah i mean it's pretty easy to get a first degree burn it doesn't have to be that hot yeah yeah um and whatever the you know however bad the burn was um i mean i guess i get and i guess how bad the burn is does matter absolutely if she's handed liquid that is that is like melting the cup mm-hmm. then that's very different than if she's handed something it's pretty hot. Yes, a the same temperature as yeah, hot coffee or hot chocolate, which is which is not unusual. Just, That's a normal which occurrence. Is it, it was boiling not too far in the distant mm-hmm. past. Mm-hmm. Um which which is what it's supposed to be. <laughs> but uh but what happens is, you know, there's this lawsuit that goes through and McDonald's is sued for a significant amount of money. Um 
I don't remember how much, but as a kid, it seemed like a lot. Probably wasn't that much. But she does win. And McDonald's adjusts what exactly? Well, there are now warnings on the coffee cups that say they're hot. And now, now it's your fault if you spill it on you. Because now you know. Now you know when you order coffee or hot chocolate that it's probably hot enough that it might be uncomfortable or even harmful to you if you spill it on you. Right? This is, is this the world we want to no, live in? No, and, and that's a great example of how litigation has changed, is that in the past, it was a, a common sense principle that if generally people understood what was going on and you didn't, it was your responsibility. That when you go out into the world and you order coffee and it's hot, that's not McDonald's fault. That's your fault. But what's happened is the onus, the responsibility has shifted. That now companies have to make sure that even the least well-informed person or the person with literally zero common sense has every opportunity to understand what's going on before purchasing their product. And if that person doesn't understand, it's the company's fault. And that's why we live in a world today where everything has warning labels. You know, um, Dan, you've got, so Dan actually has, it's not, it's not an AR-15, but it's close. So it has to have quite a few warning labels. You want to show them what you have over there that's so dangerous? Yeah, no, all told it has, it has 17 things. Three of them, they're actual safety precautions and 14 additional precautions. So yeah, three are actual warnings and the rest are cautions. Three are warnings. But caution yeah. statements are still warnings. Right. It's just a different right. category. This is uh for those of you that can't see it, this is it's small. It's about a it's about as long as my palm. It looks a little like longer, a remote. Maybe six inches. Looks like a TV remote, but it's a little oddly shaped. It's an infrared temperature. Yeah, it's a forehead thermometer. thermometer. Right, right. No contact thing. It's a really nice one. I don't even know. Someone got it for us recently. It is it is an amazing product. I'm not going to tell you what it is unless this company decides to start sending me money. <laughs> um, <laughs> They're not going to. The point is- Not once I, you go through all of these warnings. There is There are no stray pieces that come off. You got a battery thing on the back you can open up, right? It's going to take batteries. It doesn't like recharge itself. You put the batteries in. There you go. This is the, this is the device. Here are some of the, here are the three warnings. Ready? Use of this thermometer is not intended as a substitute for consultation with your physician. Please consult your doctor if you have any doubt about the temperature reading. <laughs> Can you imagine the cases that must have happened for this to be necessary to put this on this paper? No one, I guarantee you, the company didn't think, the first thermometer maker never thought that they were going to be sued because someone didn't go to the doctor. Because they took they their temperature have. instead and said, now there's, you know, now, now I have, you know, covered all avenues. I'm safe. Right. The, and as a side note, you probably, it's worth noting that has anyone in their life read these? Probably not. Not until me. Not until you right this now. Morning. <laughs> not until we were making this episode. Here's the second one. Keep the thermometer out of reach of children. It looks like a TV remote. Looks, where do you leave your TV remote? For accidental swallowing of the battery or other components 
please contact emergency services immediately. For the record, Dan, I bet TV remotes have this same thing that really what we should be doing Probably. is leaving our TV remotes in a locked cabinet eight feet up. Yeah, there are... I'm, what are you swallowing here? Seriously, you'd have to smash it against the wall before you got a piece that a child could swallow. Or you open up the battery compartment. I'm not sure how difficult and it is. And swallow a battery mm-hmm. directly. But again, a battery? How big is this toddler's mouth? The triple A, this double A battery. No, yeah, guys. <laughs> battery, and here's the third one. Batteries must not be thrown into an open fire or short-circuited. What's remarkable about this is that none of these really have anything to do with this with this device. They're, yeah, they're, We've got, you should see a doctor if you're ill. You should not throw batteries in fires, right? This is not a battery. And your kid should not swallow batteries. And your kid should not eat things that aren't good for them. Like, Well, I mean, batteries are dangerous for children to eat, but <laughs> but I can also tell you- As most chunks of metal. Yes. Bat- that, that, <laughs> not to mention the battery acid, right? That Yeah, that those things, I mean, those last two would apply to anything that has a battery, you know? I, I, wa- I want to read about the case where someone had a bunch of batteries and they're like, what do we do with these to get rid of them? I'm like, oh, we'll just chuck them in the fire. And, and yeah. thus yeah. the case is born. Yeah, and, and the, point, the point is not, yeah, people sometimes go silly and they go overboard on caution. The point is we've really missed the boat somewhere along the line if a company can be sued for not having these kind of things. Somewhere along the line, we, we took a really wrong turn on who's responsible for your life mm-hmm. and making or your child's good life. choices. You know what I mean? With, that you're your responsible for, for knowing what can harm your child and taking reasonable steps to prevent it. And again, if they make a piece on there and they're like, we recommend having your child suck on this or you know something like that, that's different. Mm-hmm. That's di- you could show actual culpability. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's the existence of this thing. This is the least dangerous object in my house. Like, I, I guess having a battery in there elevates it above something that looks like this that doesn't have a battery. But, but again, it, batteries generally don't spontaneously combust and things, and that warning wasn't on there anyway. Soon but it's, it will it's be. A, it's a weird world. At some point we decided. So, so knowing that, is it any shock that for you to sell guns, you have to be more protected than this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A gun explodes. It, there's, a, there's a part of the gun that hits with a little hammer the firing and pin. triggers an explosion. Mm-hmm. The firing pin and, and triggers an actual explosion that then fires a projectile that is designed to penetrate hard targets, right? Mm-hmm. And, and could, of course, for that to exist, you have to have something. I, there's a comedian who jokes about, <laughs> some of you may have heard of Brian Regan. He talks about what it would be like to patent and get approved an ironing board in today's world. <laughs> Where he's like, like, it's designed to tip over and we're going to put something a hot iron on with top boiling of it. water inside. With boiling water inside, right? Right. You pro- he's he's not wrong that you probably couldn't get that approved at this point. Right? If it weren't like a common household item from a t- from another age, there's no way. 
There's no way. It would have to have legal exceptions. Sorry, I'm and just I'm just thinking of his of his joke because he's he's talking about the guy presenting it, and he's like, "Well, we've got it right about here at child height, so they can run into it, knock it over, and the iron can fall on their head." That's right. We've got the boiling water for for burns. Yeah. We've got this mechanism that's impossible to get up, and that's often likely to collapse. And if that's not enough, yeah, we've also got the precariously cord. high center of yeah. Ga- gravity. Yeah, so it'll tip over, and then we've also got this cord that runs right above the ground, so we can get the toddlers involved. <laughs> That's right. They can pull it off onto themselves. Mm-hmm. No, and in, in one end designed for puncture wounds and another for blunt trauma, blunt, with, with enough weight yeah, yeah, for, for blunt, blunt force, force trauma. trauma. Yeah. Yeah. It looks, it looks like it's designed to injure children and to be dangerous to everyone in the house. And to be fair, I've burned myself with an iron more than once. You have? Just, just using it. I was going to make, iron I was going to make the comment that. That as someone who's had a very old iron that is doesn't meet any of the modern safety standards, I'm sure, <laughs> even, yeah. and a very old ironing board had no issues at all. And you just treat it with a little bit of common sense and it was no issue. But here you are saying, no, Dan, Dan's burned himself half a dozen times. He needs the labels. My body's covered in scars from my... From ironing shirts. Both physical and psychological. I didn't, I didn't read the warning that you were supposed to take the shirt off before you iron it. <laughs> I tried to sue them already, and uh, no, they had they, they had, had a the warning, warning label. Prepared. Yeah, you should have read that. Yeah, I could see me. that. I could see a warning label that says "Make sure you remove the shirt before ironing." I'm it. pretty sure it's on there. I I don't think I came up with that on the fly. I'm pretty sure I've seen that. It now, like I said, it, it, I think it's really important not to. I I don't. The point we are making is not there shouldn't be safety precautions. There should not be safety warnings. There should not be instructions, and it should be a crazy free-for-all where you make whatever you want with no consequences, right? That's not what we're saying. But we have really gone to an extreme here. And the extreme is somewhere along the way we decided, it was Brad stated it, that it is the company's fault. Well, see, and I would I would even go beyond that, Dan, because I would say it's actually worse than that, because what we've done is create a situation where without special protections, any company is liable for all sorts of lawsuits because they hold the responsibility. Therefore, companies, especially large companies, have gone out of their way to protect themselves, which means sometimes even when you have a legitimate claim against that company, you don't have the ability to sue them because of special protections like this one. And so we've actually created a world where the default is that companies are responsible and the result is companies go out of their way to protect themselves using the the instrument of government yes. and the end yeah. result is it's a hodgepodge where sometimes it's super easy to sue companies and other times it's it's, it's impossible. impossible and no yeah. matter even if they had if you have the most legitimate case in the world, it's not about whether or not your case is legitimate. It's about the minutia of the laws. And that is a truly horrible system for everyone. Yeah. Yeah, it's a world where we've rejected uh, any reasonable standard of 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 what it works in its, in its just negotiated terms with the government. Yeah, exactly. It's not yeah, about which- common sense. It's not about – 
a common law system that's built off of of reasonable expectations and things like that. Right. That you could that you could come to intuitively, right? You could think about it and you go, you know, I probably can sue them here because they clearly made a serious error that's dangerous mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. which does happen product. in lawsuits yes. used to be a great avenue of correcting that. Yes. Yes. And now product liability uh is a is only one limited sphere of this. Whereas, uh, like you were saying, some of the ways that some of the barriers to between them and consequences, things like uh, we've mentioned before, things like the corporate shell, mm-hmm. um, being able to have this entity between you and the customers, you and well, you and your decisions <laughs> that uh, that protects you and that can be sued. I mean, the reason they, it, a corporation is a is a type of LLC, essentially a limited liability corporation, right? It's a a point title. The point was to protect them. And the reason we chose to protect them initially when this, this device was come up with was, was designed legally. This was a privilege granted to favored industries that we thought we wanted so badly to be successful that we were willing to protect them as a society, right? It was at one point, it was a choice. Yeah, just to grant almost a privilege. like this immunity law. Right. It was a choice to grant a specific privilege to a specific group of people. And at this point, it is the normal standard for business. Now, you can still do other forms, but but it's this is ubiquitous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's a privilege of, of protection from liability in cases where common sense would say, and where general legal standards would say, they should not have been protected. They should be subject to to penalties. So how does this relate to this case, Brad? What do you think on this particular case? Well, as as we've already covered, I I don't think that there should be this immunity law. I think that yes. without this law in place, there there would be a huge reduction in the manufacturing of firearms because because this is the protection they're relying on, that Walmart has their protections and these companies rely on this law. And so they would need to reorganize their protections before they could continue manufacturing weapons. But if you got rid of this law, they would come up with other protections. You know what I mean? You know, individual companies would find their own loopholes and their own extensions to get the protection that basically every other major company has because that's how the system works. And so the idea that if we just get rid of this one law, we'll fix the problem in terms of 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 gun manufacturers, I don't think that's the case. Um, yeah. That's one part. You've got to go it. deeper than that. That's one part. I think of that's it. accurate. The other part of it about the the marketing and and the the loophole that was found here is an example of how the legal system is out of whack. Because to argue that because they said consider your man card reissued, that they were culpable for the Sandy Hook shootings is, I think. It's a reach. You know what I mean? That it's a stretch. Oh, yes. Um, Oh, yes. A very large stretch. And the reason they made that stretch is because there's the legal grounds for it. Like I said, the people who are making this argument are not making it because they believe that the marketing is the problem. They're they're making the argument because they believe that they shouldn't be making these guns at all, but they don't (laughs) have 
you know, the legal standing they're looking for, that. for the legal standing. So they're looking yes, for yeah. any legal standing they can find, and they happen to find this one because of the way the laws are set up. And I think it's, I, I don't think it's really legitimate. I, yeah. I don't think okay. you can make the argument in good faith, you know, just talking to each other. I know people make arguments all the time in cases and make arguments when they're, you know, up there having a political debate because they're getting paid to defend their side. That's different. But mm-hmm. I'm saying a good faith argument between you and me to argue that when Remington made those ads, their intention was to endorse criminal violence is is crazy to think that that's what they that what they were thinking and to argue that that makes them responsible for the Sandy Hook shooting I just I just don't buy it I really don't Do you think it's a reasonable conclusion if you're watching it to say okay maybe they didn't intend to but these advertisements uh here here's the let me pull up some of the terms they used cuz we we thought this was odd so they promoted the, the particular weapon for civilians. I, I'm reading from a summary of the legal brief on, on Justia. Yeah, on the, um, that, a, the Connecticut Supreme Court ruling, right? Yeah, it's a formal – yeah, formal uh, – that's right, the, the Supreme Court of Connecticut. Yeah, and correct? by the way, if you guys are wondering, the case is uh, Soto versus Bushmaster Firearms International LLC. Yeah, I'll link we'll, – we'll include the link to uh, the Justia, which has the summary that I'm drawing from here, and also the actual uh, complete case if you want to look at you – know, really dig into it. Um, of course, there's also lots of news articles about it and things you can find. Um, so this is this is one of the, the interesting ways of framing it. So uh, the – Remington promoted the particular weapon for civilians to use to carry out – Offensive, military-style combat missions. And that, that is, as Brad indicated, that, that's, that, that, that by encouraging that, they're encouraging them to do something illegal. Right? They're encouraging them to use them, use these weapons in an offensive, military-style combat mission. Some kind of offensive being attack, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, aggressive as opposed to defensive. As opposed to self-defense or something like that, and that this makes them culpable of of maybe not of the Sandy Hook shooting, but certainly culpable of violating the law by encouraging illegal action. And, and by the way, a lot of people who are who are in favor of gun control or who are anti assault rifle will be like, "Yeah, that makes sense." And i I want to propose the theory that the reason that makes sense is primarily because. You believe assault rifles don't have a legitimate place in society because because that kind of advertising is not that unusual. Like one of my favorite no. advertising things is um, car advertisements. One of my favorite ads I ever saw was – it was quite a few years ago. I want to say it was like 10 years ago or so. But it was for – I believe it was the Lamborghini Aventador and it was it was an incredible ad. Um, and involved uh, this this bright orange Lamborghini. You know, it's a, it's a beautiful car. At least I think so. You may think it's ugly, and that's not the point. Um, <laughs> oh, but it is the point, Brad. It's not just kidding. But but Carry they on. have this ad where this person is driving this car across this huge flat, like almost desert. You know, it reminds me of the salt flats out in Utah. As you say, they film a lot of it in the salt flats and, there. And then the they have this huge lake. storm. And then the ground starts caving in around the vehicle, and the vehicle drives past it. I thought I was watching a 
what's it like? It's like the movie 2012 where the where the world literally falling apart <laughs> as they're driving away. It was a lot like that. And 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 there are lots of ads like that about all the things you can do with your vehicle and how they're so powerful and they're so capable and and all of these things and it's like no one would no one would make the argument that you're supposed to use your Lamborghini to drive in dangerous terrain where the ground might be collapsing. And if someone did, they wouldn't have a case to stand on because the the company would argue, no, we did that because it looked cool. And no one and everyone knows that you're not supposed to drive your car where the ground is collapsing. Just like Remington, I think, would make the argument. Yeah, we were we were appealing to gamers because gamers like guns. And we were reminding them of how these guns are like the military because these people like the military and they think it's cool. But we know that they know because we never said go commit criminal on acts. We just said these guns are cool and these guns are the kinds of guns that men like because we knew that would appeal to them. But that is very different from encouraging them to go kill people, just like Lamborghini highlighting how cool their car is and how powerful it is, is very different from them encouraging you should drive in an unsafe way. Yes, that, that despite the fact that they're maybe showing it as offensive rather than defensive, that is a far cry from from encouraging those acts, encouraging a crime. In fact, in fact, there are cases where using it offensively, depending on what you mean by offense, would be legitimate defense of someone else, mm-hmm. or legitimate defense of of uh, you know, or you're you're in a situation where. Uh, you're under some kind of foreign foreign attack or something like that, and you're using it offensively against the enemy. There, there's even even to say that you're going to use the gun offensively is is not necessarily counter to self defense. No, per se, and that, in, in and, terms of what the legal right and is, and that that is a reasonable argument that that lots of people who own firearms do own them with the idea that if the country was ever invaded, they could grab their guns and become yeah, red dawn if like necessary. The movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, and so and so having advertising that keys into that demographic and those ideas is is good advertising but it is very different from encouraging criminal acts but because these two groups are so different you know what i mean these the the yeah. these nra gun toting individuals are so foreign from the people who just see these assault rifles as fully automatic machine guns that could you know, kill millions, which by They're the way, AR-15s are people, not. Yeah. They are not machine guns. They are not fully automatic. You know, the difference between an AR-15 and, by the way, there are thousands of different models that aren't AR-15s that are still semi-automatic that have two, two, three rounds or even bigger, more, more destructive rounds. Yeah. There are tons of them. And so just targeting the AR-15 means that you're just targeting a style of gun versus how dangerous it is, which is strange as well. Right. No, there's a, there is an alarming amount of, and this, this is a side issue. And if you're listening to this and you don't like guns, do yourself a favor and do your research before you, uh, before you do, you know, propose bills and things like that or talk, talk ideas, because there is, there's a surprising amount of, anti-gun stuff that can't land because it literally doesn't understand guns mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like it like it, it not only is it not going to take effect even if you think it should or what this is aside from what you believe should be the yeah, legal just on standard a practical sense on a practical level 
you need to know what you're talking about. And there are legislators who say things about it that you're like, well, it's not just You've about never. It's not just about talking about it. Then, when there was the the federal assault weapons ban, you know, a couple of decades yeah. ago, many of the things that were banned were cosmetic, were things yes. like how the yes. grip was set up, and so of yes. course, it's a military style, and what they mean is appearance yeah, of military so goods. The problem which is, is, yeah, they were like, we don't want these guns to look like yeah. military weapons, but we don't care how they function. And so, of course, yeah, as a which, result of that, you had a bunch of different guns that looked different but served the exact same purpose. Yeah. Well, and it, and it, yeah. and it goes back. It goes back, Dan, to the fact that it's in many ways it flies in the face of data. So, for example, you know, this was a a school shooting that was perpetrated by an AR-15. School shootings are awful, and something that I think that we should take seriously. Yes. Changing a horrific, grip, truly changing horrific. a grip on an AR-15 is not going to do that. Even, even banning all assault rifles isn't going to do that, because of of gun violence that was committed in a given year. You know, about three percent of that was from assault rifles with, uh, versus assault rifles. sixty percent mm-hmm. that were handguns. Which means even if you got rid of all rifles, you could at most take care of forty yeah. percent of the problems. And then even specifically mass shootings, which everyone argues is just assault rifles, it's still only about thirty percent are actually committed by assault rifles. And assault so rifles. the majority of mass shootings, which are what assault rifles are supposedly for. It, the numbers don't don't add up, and so so it again begs the question of what are the priorities, what are the goals here, and having reasonable conversations I think would go a long way towards more reasonable reform that people can get behind. It's odd that there. This is one of those topics where where you're never sure if what's being argued is uh. You know, what the end goal of the person you're talking to really is. Um, it, so often, somebody arguing for assault rifle bans, or so often it seems, and I, I don't know how, much, how often it's the case, it seems that any gun ban is good. And it, it seems it's accurate that any gun ban is good if you want to get rid of all guns. Mm-hmm. Right? It's, it's all of its progress. Mm-hmm. And all, uh, and, the, and the reverse is also true. If you're in favor of a complete gun freedom, then any motion in the other direction is good. Mm-hmm. And so people will pick up on what they think the public can yeah, swallow in one direction popular. or another. Yes. And, and try and move it. But then they make bad faith arguments on the particular because they don't really care about the particular they're making. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They want something broader. And so it's, a, it's really hard for this, for gun control stuff to go anywhere for some of the same reasons that it is for abortion. You get people who are like, no, guns are bad. Let's get rid of assault rifles. We can at least agree on that, right? Mm-hmm. Let's get rid of this. And uh, it's just, it's a very difficult area of law. <laughs> a very, very difficult area. I, uh, as far as I'm concerned, this particular one, I agree with you that I don't think, if you were to say, let's, let's discard the legal standards right now and say, what would, what would be ideal? What would, in, in an ideal system, would they be able to make these advertisements without, uh, without being sued for culpability when someone uses one of their weapons wrongly? Mm-hmm. Um, I think the answer is yes. I don't think the, that 
culpability extends so far out there that a gun company hinting at the ability to use this weapon offensively can be rightfully sued for the death of someone who's been murdered. Well, well, they can be sued, but whether or not that lawsuit has any grounds, you know, that they will yes, win. Yes, you know, yes, yes. Because I, I, you, you always want to open to suit. Yeah, yes. exactly. And that's, and that's part mm-hmm. of the problem with that law that I dislike about it is the fact that it's stopping the lawsuit from even happening. You know, is that yeah. is that I don't think we should stop lawsuits from happening. I think we should have reasonable case law in place or or whatever yeah, so that so, so that you filter out quickly the bad exactly, ones exactly yeah. exactly so you yeah. can't you don't get bogged down in frivolous no, you're lawsuits right. while you're right, also giving there are people some. the right to sue companies you know yeah there are other areas of law that come to mind as you say that where where there are major problems because you can't even begin the case yeah you can't even have the conversation and that's a real yeah. problem yeah that's a good point and um, and and here's the thing is there could be documents that could that could shift that you know what i mean if there's uh-huh. evidence you know i mean like right now we're going to get a crap ton of documents from remington yes yes and maybe yes, we're going to find in those up. documents that 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 remington executives were intentionally targeting children you know young men under the age of 18 with their advertising and that could shift you know what they're yes. gonna, kind of like with with you know cigarette companies or more recently with with vape companies where the argument is made, hey, it it sure looks like they're targeting children. And if it turns out that they intentionally are, they're willfully are, then you've got a real problem. You know what I mean? Yes. Then you've got that's different. And mm-hmm. and that may be the case, but just on its surface, those yes, ads that's right. alone are not enough. That's right. The internal documents played a role in making this settlement because they they got access to them in pursuit of the case. And, and so they're they going saw to be them, released. And that's why they're demanding their release. That's a good point. So there may be things released here that that uh, significantly change it. But it's my it, thus far, it's our understanding mm-hmm. that the documents only serve to reinforce what the advertising showed, which is that it was vaguely encouraging of offensive use, which which is, you know, an appeal to manliness and, and yeah, these and, things. Yeah, an appeal to manliness. And if it only confirms and, that, and then the my, coolness our, yeah. of military things. Yes, yes. In our opinion, I think my my opinion would be unchanged if that's all those documents mm-hmm. show. But they could show more than that. In which point, I'd certainly be willing to revise my my opinions if there's something darker going on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's too far removed, it, isn't it? Odd that. To get to bring a case, you have to have standing, and their standing comes from being victims in the Sandy Hook, you know, fam- the families of the victims of Sandy Hook, and they're able to come to this company. It's so far removed from the, from what I would say are the actual causes of the crime mm-hmm. and of the things related to it, um, and and you'd have to have something really directly tying them to it for it to make any sense to me. Yeah. And, and this and, is and, and that's why I brought up the documents. Because if because if they were targeting underage boys with their advertising intentionally, that could bring it much closer to the actual shooting. You yes. know what I mean? Yes. Because then there's a clear connection. Yeah. You've got you know, you've got this this anyways, but it it's well and I th- Yes. It would still be weird that it's connected to the Sandy Hook shooting, particularly, but it could be. But but it's got to come from somewhere mm-hmm. at that point, mm-hmm. and, and that it comes from here is as good a place as any. Yeah. 
And yeah, for the that, record, it, I, I do think that when the shooting was actually committed, it was by an adult man. I don't know how old he was, but he wasn't he wasn't a kid. He was you know wasn't a he kid. was he was like twenty or something. And so even that I'm not sure would actually bring it closer to the Sandy Hook shooting. And I think it was I wanna say it was it was his mother who owned the firearm. So he yes, his mother owned it. So he in shot the, and, her before he did and it. And so those things once again bring it farther away from Remington. You know what I mean? That if she <laughs> owned it and not him, then what does the advertising have to do with it in the first place if they're trying to advertise to young men and, and the mother bought it? You know, it it does raise some questions. Unless, of course, she bought it for him and bought it before he turned 18 and that's why she bought it. Right. Right. If we're willing to pin this level of, if you're willing to take that level of distance, then why can't you sue somebody who was, I don't know, mean to the kid? Or, or who was, you know, said some, you know, uh, went shooting with him at some point in his life. Or, no, you know, that's, like if you're connecting said, dots this far back. That's why I said at crime. the beginning, mm-hmm. it's because of the, the core belief. It's a fundamental belief. Right, right. That, the motivation is not. That the firearms are the problem. That if we didn't have yes. the firearms, this never would have happened. And that a good legal standing to attack the firearms is a good case mm-hmm. that should be pursued. Yeah, regardless not necessarily of because there's a causation. Makes sense itself. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a it's it's a broader it's a broader issue that they're going after, and this is just what they're able to do today. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll follow up on this if the documents uh, when the documents are released, there will probably be news articles that, that touch on it, and we'll mention it if it if it brings up anything significant. We'll. We'll mention at the beginning of a of another episode addressing another topic. And with that, now, thank you for listening. Have a good one. This has been an episode of Rethinking Politics. You can find us on all of the major podcasting apps or on YouTube. You can reach out to us at rethinkingpoliticspodcast at gmail.com or you can visit our website at rethinkingpolitics.podbean.com where you can support us via Patreon. Thanks and have a wonderful day.